As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Big Football Show, a podcast from The Athletic about Big Ten football. This is Scott Docterman and I mostly cover Iowa. Today I'm joined by Mitch Sherman, my colleague and friend who covers Nebraska. Mitch, welcome to The Big Football Show. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, Almost football season, so uh, glad that we are here talking. Yeah, me as well. So I guess uh, first I wanted to ask you about, you know, 10 years ago, Nebraska joined the uh, joined the Big Ten, and it kind of ushered in a new era for the league. It split into two divisions, legends and leaders, <laughs> and gave us a Big Ten championship game. And it was kind of supposed to launch both entities into a new era and a higher level. Uh, ten years later, what's kind of been your impression of this marriage? And it hasn't been mutually beneficial for both entities. I do love your dedication to uh, remembering the legends and leaders and the uh, uh, the great names and and <laughs> uh, memories we have of that of that awkward division setup from from ten years ago. Yeah, uh, I mean, in some ways it seems like it's been a century, and in other ways it's like it just it just happened for Nebraska with that move over, and and um, it, it's been a decade for Nebraska that is mostly forgettable on the football field. The Huskers came into the Big Ten uh, fresh off two consecutive appearances in the Big 12 championship game, and, you know, they were both memorable. Um, one for the, the the second put back on the clock against Texas in 2009 that was the impetus behind Nebraska looking around in that offseason and then finding a partner in, in Jim Delaney early in 2010. And then um, there was a memorable game against Oklahoma at the end of the 2010 season in, in which Nebraska led big early. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting to think of, of what could have been and if Nebraska had won one or, or even two um, Big 12 championships at the end, um, 
how things might have been different over the decade that have followed. But obviously there have been no Big Ten championships for Nebraska, just one appearance in the Big Ten title game, and that was a disaster against Wisconsin in 2012 early in the in the run. Three coaches, um, you know, Scott Frost is, is here and, and entering his fourth year, and it's been um, difficult to say the least for him to get some footing. So – while there have been good things for Nebraska um, about the Big Ten, a lot of good things. I mean, stability, the finances have been important. Um, you know, we see what's going on around college football now in Nebraska, I think, is, is you know, extremely happy. And, and I'm looking for the right way to say this. It's, it's, um, it's not just a minority of, of people. It, it's, it's the vast majority of people who follow the program who understand that they're in the right place for the university and for the athletic department as a member of the Big Ten. But, um, you know, these years have not been filled with, with much success, at least in football and in, in men's basketball, the other pr- premier sport for the Huskers. So, um, you know, they're, they're uh, definitely hopeful that this next this second decade, um, you know, brings more opportunities to play for uh, trophies and championships. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not what was expected uh, when Jim Delaney uh, revamped the divisions, and he did it in a different way. You know, through competitive equality rather than or initiated the divisions and by based on competitive equality, they went over 17 years of data, and at that point, Nebraska was one of the four powers, if you will, along with Penn State, Michigan, and and Ohio State, and the the decision to, to cut them both, all four of them in two different divisions and then take the next two, which was Wisconsin and Iowa, and cut them and put them in different divisions to try to make it balanced. And and that's what I thought was fascinating in the very beginning, simply because it wasn't geographic. The, the whole thought was to avoid a Big 12 North situation, which is, you know, when Nebraska kind of fell there at times in the in the mid you know 2000s, that decade, that uh, the fear was that the South was too heavy, and it was. Uh, that this case uh, the east would be too heavy and the west wouldn't be uh, but instead it the competitive equality <laughs> it doesn't matter what division uh, as long as Ohio State's in one division then, then it's competitively unequal at this point uh, mm-hmm. so three years of legends and leaders and then we went east west so it's it's been an interesting ride through the divisional phase here of the Big Ten. Um, a lot of it was based because the league had been around since, you know, the 1890s, that there had been a lot of uh, rivalries that were well beyond geographic poll uh, generations. There was a lot of equality felt among the league, unlike maybe in the Big 8 or Big 12. So I think it's, it's been an interesting run for everybody, uh, you know, kind of from the very beginning to, to now. And I guess we're, we'll see what the future brings there. But, uh, you know, last week we were gathering uh, in Indianapolis for Big Ten Media Days, and I ran into you while you're waiting for an Uber to talk about, uh, uh, you know, an anniversary 20 years ago. And uh, word had kind of gotten out um, as we were en route to Indianapolis that Oklahoma and Texas had a been pro, or had approached the SEC, and then in a whirlwind romance, within two weeks, those two Goliaths were accepted as members, uh, beginning at you know at the very latest 2025. And I kind of want to know from a Nebraska perspective, well, you know, what's the reaction? Is it kind of like, hey, this is why we left, or 
Well, any kind of nostalgia for the good old days of wanting to go back, well, that's gone now. I mean, what's kind of been the, the general reaction in uh, Nebraska to that? Yeah, um, you know, what an amazing couple of days that was. And, you know, we, I don't think we got to soak it up um, in the way that we might have if it had been in any other week of the year because we were there in Indy and, and absorbing um, everything we could that was coming at us with Big Ten information. And then off in the, you know, on the horizon was this massive news that impacted the Big Ten and every, you know, every little corner of college football. I, I was sitting on the runway at O'Hare um, waiting for my connecting flight to leave to take me to Indianapolis when that news came over my phone. Um, and it was like, all right, what's, you know, it, it, it wasn't like, um, hey, Oklahoma and Texas are, are um, in, this, in this romance with the SEC. It was like, they're about to join the SEC. You know, that was the news. It wasn't any kind of uh, this might happen. It was like, this is, this is coming and this is going to happen. And very quickly, you know, other media, you know, after the Houston Chronicle broke that story, other media were able to, to realize that, yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is a, this is the story of the year in, um, you know, certain, in depending on how you look at the sport, as far as a development that's going to impact this sport long-term, this is it right here on this Wednesday afternoon. So I'm like, I, you know, What's going to happen by the time I get to Indy? I'm 40 minutes away. You know, I, I got to buy the uh, the Wi-Fi on my plane here, um, so I don't miss out on the next, uh, you, know, you know, the next bomb to drop, uh, <laughs> so to speak. So, what a, you know, yeah, what a what a 24, 48, 72 hours that was. Um, and I feel like we got cheated out of it a little, a little bit because we were we were, uh, you know, listening to everything that was being said uh, about the Big Ten only. So, to answer your question. Um, about how Nebraska feels, you know, I think you need to go back one year from this month and remember what happened when the Big Ten decided to cancel the season um, or, or postpone the season, cancel the fall season. Of course, it was then reconfigured. Um, we all know that story. But um, there was for for a few days, um, you know, just a lot of animosity. Well, it went more than a few days, but. Um, there, there was for a short period of time, you know, some cries from you know, people who I would even say are credible um, in, in that, well, Nebraska should just say goodbye and, you know, go, go play this year in another league, you know, get back with the Big 12, restart that thing. And, you know, while we're discussing this, maybe just, maybe just go back there for good. And obviously, you can't do that with the way that contracts are structured and TV rights are structured. It was an emotional response, but I think it was indicative of the frustration that Nebraska was feeling at that time. And also indicative of like some of the, um, you know, the lingering feelings about the big 12 that, that people, yeah, certain people in Nebraska, a certain segment of the fan base had, um, as we sit here today, that's all, that's all out the window. Um, when Oklahoma and Texas said goodbye on that Wednesday afternoon in July, when, when the news broke that they were about to say goodbye, any, any romantic feelings between Nebraska and the old Big 12 just evaporated. It was like, as you mentioned, Scott, yes, this is validation for, for the, the, the segment of the people who, who say Nebraska made the right decision. Um, this is, this is everything that they 
they feared could happen in 2010, that one day the league would just go poof and it would be it would not resemble what it was when that thing formed in 1996. And as these two behemoth schools prepare to to head out, that's what you have left with the Big 12, and Nebraska would, would want no part of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I remember when it, when it all came to, to being, at, and I was down in Kansas City when it all kind of finally exploded in the uh, back in 2010, and there was the report of the Pac-16 and who was going to go and who was going to stay. And, you know, Missouri took a lot of the brunt at that point because – you know, Jay Nixon, their governor at the time, you know, was like, hey, we want out. Uh, Nebraska had, uh, you know, there was the call from what Harvey Perlman to Jim Delaney on I-29 heading north uh, right by Mound City, which isn't that far from from where I used to work in St. Joseph, Missouri. And they, uh, you know, kind of hashed out some things, went to a secure location and and, and got it all worked out. And, and I understand kind of the, the looking back because, you know, Nebraska does have such great history with the Big Eight, in particular the rivalry with, with uh, Oklahoma. But then for the fans to be able to travel to, to all those destinations and essentially take over towns, Lawrence, Ames, Manhattan, uh, you name it, and was able to kind of do all of that. And, uh, and, so coming to the Big Ten is, is just different in so many different ways. The, the culture is different. The locations are different. There's no real shared history. They've played games against teams, but, but very little in the way of right. memorable and, and all of that. So it's, it's understandable to kind of look back, especially because this has been such a uh, mediocre decade, if you will, um, for, for Nebraska and football. So, uh, but It's been poor. Now, it's been it, poor, I think you could say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, by, by Nebraska standards, absolutely. I mean, to be you know yeah. ten years, forty three and forty one in the Big Ten, and and to have what five out of the last six years have been losing seasons, that's not that's bad, and that's not good, especially for a program with that kind of tradition. So I think uh, now you look at it and go, okay, uh, this is why we got out. This is the we made the right move. Maybe it kind of shuts off some of that nostalgia and, all right, let's just look ahead. Let's not worry about looking back and talking about the Tom Osborne days, every other article that's written or every radio, every other radio caller that maybe it's now about looking forward rather than behind. I, I don't know if that's too simplistic or uh, attainable, but is it, is it possible that now, based on what Oklahoma and Texas are doing, that it kind of shuts off that era and focuses more on the present and the future. I think some of the nostalgia about the league will go down, you know, go away. There's always going to be nostalgia from Nebraska fans about the championships that the school won. I think that needs to be differentiated from the conversation that some outsiders outside of the Big Ten or certain places in the Big Ten believe that Nebraska and its fans have on a daily basis. Like, okay, how can we strategize to get back to being 1995 Nebraska? Um, that isn't what Nebraska people are talking about. That isn't what the, con the conversation that's happening inside Memorial Stadium. Now, I understand the perception, how, th how that can be the perception. When Scott Frost is the head coach, who was the quarterback from 1996 and 1997, and now Trev Alberts is the athletic director, who was the star outside linebacker from uh, 1990 to 1993. So 
Um, they are figures from the 90s. They, they both played for Tom Osborne. They both played for national championships. And in the case of, uh, of Scott, won a national championship at Nebraska. But, um, you know, in their minds, uh, it, it's clear that those days are not coming back, that the, 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 the objective is to find a way for Nebraska to be successful in this current era of college football. And just because these guys cut their teeth in the 90s doesn't mean that they should be penalized in, in, in essence um, and, and stuck in this, in this place where the only thing that they can do, the only thing that they can strive to is to you know go 13-0, and 0, um, that everything else is a failure. That's not how, how people in Nebraska feel today. Um, but it is interesting, I, I think, with the hires that Nebraska has made, that it has continued to look for figures from that great era of the program's history and to continue to, um, you know, tap the, um, the, the Osborne years for uh, leaders of, of the program. I, I think that's just, that's just the way it is because, you know, those people are accomplished um, they're, uh, you know, Trev Alberts is 50 years old. Scott Frost is 46. They're at a place in their careers where, um, they're, 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 uh, you know, primed to be, um, at their, at, at their peak, um, so to speak. So, you know, these guys are, are, uh, this, this is, the, this is the normal time in people's lives when you become athletic directors and coaches. And the fact that they have experience of achieving great success at their alma mater, um, you know, that doesn't mean that they're trying to get back to that spot every day. It means that they're trying to, uh, to me, it means that they're trying to, uh, you know, find the formula now in a completely different environment, in a different league um, to, uh, you know, to be successful in the Big Ten. Um, and, uh, you know, we're going to find out. We're going to find out real quick here uh, in, in, in 2021, um, you know, what this, uh, what this next version of Nebraska is made of. I, I, I really think that this, this year, this first game uh, with, with Trev Alberts, in, in charge of the athletic department is just so pivotal for Nebraska and where Scott Frost is going to take this thing over the short term uh, this fall and, and even uh, even long term in his in his tenure at Nebraska. And of course, I'm talking about the uh, the August 28th opener uh, at Illinois. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think you bring up some great points. I mean, it... In some ways, it's it's more cultural rather than a nostalgic hire. I think in either case, uh, Scott Frost would not have gotten that hire if he, he was not an accomplished coach. Uh, whether it was an offensive coordinator at Oregon or leading UCF to a 13 and 0 season, he was the right hire. I mean, if he wasn't going to be there, he might have been at Florida or he might have been at Tennessee or or somewhere else. And and so that was the perfect hire at that time. And then likewise, Trev Alberts. He's had a lot of experience. He's been an athletic director for a long time. They understand the state, the culture, but they also have had success. And I think that's that's the relevant part of this discussion. That uh, you know, I think there's always going to be banter <laughs> among, and, and people are always going to find ways when you're not achieving success to to kind of put you down and, and put down a program like that. And I think that's kind of the case here. 
Yeah, right. I mean, Nebraska is a is a punching bag right now. To to be brutally honest, that's just the way it is. When storylines come out in the off season, in the summer, um, they there are there are plenty of people who remember um, Nebraska's um, unparalleled history of of success over forty years. You know, just continuing to win nine, ten, eleven games year after year. And I think there's, um, you, you know, from from uh, some corners of the country, there is still resentment that Nebraska did that. And if there's an opportunity that exists to put Nebraska down or to put Nebraska in its place, which is an easy thing to do now, um, as after, as you mentioned, five losing seasons in six years, then, um, you know, the, there are opportunists who are going to do that. Um, and you see a lot of that. Um, you, you, you know, you, you, you see there, there, sometimes there are um, the, the, every opportunity uh, to jump on Nebraska when um, when Nebraska gets in its own way, which is which is happening far too often. Um, you know, it's one thing to lose and to be uh, and to not have the success that you're accustomed to as a program, but far too often for Nebraska over the past decade, it's gotten its own way and tripped on its shoes. You know, whether it's in a game or a, an incident that happens away from the field. You know, something that hap- that, that happens as a result of. Um, you know, disorganization and um, a, a lack of the right kind of leadership within the athletic department. And right now, um, most often when Nebraska is in the news on a national level, it's because of something that it messed up. And that's a cycle that Trev Alberts and Scott Frost need to work very hard to discontinue. Yeah, because you look at some of the just the past missteps by former athletic directors and high-profile ones. Um, the Oklahoma game, whether it was whether it's Bill Moose or Scott Frost, it doesn't matter. It you know to get that out there, I mean, really looks looked bad. The optics of it were horrendous. That you were you had this scheduled nine years in advance to play Oklahoma and then trying to get out of it for whatever reason. Um, getting rid of Black Friday from Sean Eichhorst and, and Mike Riley. And then, you know, just some of the, the rhetoric, whether it was in jest or kind of, uh, you know, tongue in cheek at times to uh, whatever. But when you're not winning and you have that history and a very vocal fan base, and sometimes it comes back to, to bite you. And, and now it's, uh, I, I do think, you know, based on my limited, very, very limited dealings with Trev Albert, certainly not in the same vein as you, I don't think we'll see some of that bravado, that public bravado, maybe that Bill Moose tried to, to exude. And, and I don't think you'll see those missteps. And I think that's a, a good thing. I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, what's interesting is that Trev Alberts, you know, is a guy who who um, you know has somewhat of a history of being, um, of 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 having some of that bravado. Um, you know, in his post playing days, he was uh, a, a college football analyst for um, for CNNSI, for CBS, and then most notably for ESPN. And you know, he got himself in some hot water at times as people do in that profession for saying things that were controversial about the sport, for saying things that were controversial about Nebraska. Um, if, if, you know, some people re- remember that Trev Alberts was outspoken in, in saying that Nebraska did the right thing by firing Frank Solich um, after the, the 2003 season. And we're going way back now to dig, to dig this thing up, but it's just an example of you know, where Trev has been through his career and you know he's never been afraid to speak his mind and now he comes in after an athletic director 
who, at, at Nebraska and Bill Moose, who sometimes spoke his mind too much or tried to stick out his chest too much. That's not going to be Trev's style. Um, he he already has shown that he's going to dial things back. You know, he's not going to uh, make proclamations about um, Ryan Day running scared from Nebraska, um, as as Bill Moose did, somewhat in jest uh, about Urban Meyer in in Frost's first year, leading up to his first year. So, um, Trev Trev's a smart guy, um, especially when it comes to um, his public image and you know the things that come out of his mouth, as you might expect for somebody who's been in the media and is accustomed to speaking in public and and very comfortable. Uh, in front of the microphone. So everything that he says so far or has said so far in this first month on the job as the athletic director in Lincoln has been pretty calculated. And, you know, I I think that's going to continue to be the case. Um, He's not going to embarrass Nebraska with the things that he says. Um, And I think Scott Frost, uh, you know, I saw this in Indy and have seen it in his um, in his interviews since since Big Ten Media Days, you know, he's going to take a cue from his athletic director. And he did, I would say, from Bill Moose in that um, it was it was the accepted practice at Nebraska to talk a big game when Bill was in charge of the athletic department. And now I, I think with Alberts, um, you know, it, it's going to be a situation where from the top down, Nebraska is more measured in the way that it um, – you know, it, it, it portrays itself. There aren't going to be some of those bold statements. And right now at this place where Nebraska's at in the growth in the history of its program or its, its progress as a football program, that's a good thing. Um, if they get back to, uh, you know, going to New Year's six games and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it fits Frost's personality to be more outspoken, then great. But you got to earn it on the field first, and, and that's not something that they've done to this point. All right, getting to the field, and uh, there is a, an opportunity, and I think this is this is the most fascinating Week Zero game I can ever remember, or certainly in years, uh, and that it, it's low-level exciting for anybody who doesn't follow it very closely, but if you're in the Big Ten and you follow these two teams in particular, there's a lot of intrigue and that's you know Nebraska at Illinois in week 0 so it was supposed to be over in Ireland it's now of course in Champaign which uh, is more like the schlitz of the big 10 in uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding no uh, but it's important for a million reasons for both teams i mean this is the start of the Brett Bielema era in in Illinois and he's really changed a lot of things about that program. I mean, to, to encourage and bring back 15 super seniors is really impressive. You're coming in in an era where anybody can hit the transfer portal and be eligible right away, and yet here he is able to convince all these players to stick around and work for him, and and uh, they haven't had much success. Well, it doesn't matter. They're going to play hard for him uh, to go, and Lovey Smith was, let's face it, he was brutal on the recruiting trail. He was terrible. He basically conceded almost the entire state of Illinois, which is kind of the breadbasket to most of uh, the Big Ten in that in this part of the world. And now Brett Bielema has touched, has reached and touched out with, touched base with almost every high school coach in the in the state. Has had conversations with him. Has been to these places. He's won head-to-head. Uh, battles in recruiting against Iowa, for instance, which has had great success in some of the small towns in Illinois. Um, 
so there's a feeling of excitement in Illinois, which I haven't seen really in, oh, I don't know, 15 years since Juice Williams was there and they went to the Rose Bowl. And likewise, as you mentioned with, with Nebraska, uh, there's a lot riding on this game. And, and it's it's not desperation or anything, but it's certainly going to set the tone for this season. So what's kind of your vantage point for, for this game particularly Nebraska's point of view, but but the big picture for both programs. Yeah, um, it's a huge game for Nebraska, and, and the, uh, Frost and the players have, have really not shied away from from admitting that. Now, you know, Frost has, has made some statements uh, that one game does not uh, make or break a season or a program, but those comments are after him saying yes this is huge for uh, Nebraska's ability to to start well. If it wins this game, a three and zero start going to Oklahoma on September eighteenth is likely. Nebraska plays Fordham and Buffalo in the weeks between those two Power Five opponents. Um, so three and zero would you know would be. Uh, good for Nebraska um, to to uh, you know to state the obvious, um, and I would say it's it's a must um, if this thing is going to go in a direction that Frost needs it to go here this this all all through the fall. The way that the schedule sets up on the back end um, with Ohio State and Wisconsin and Iowa at the end, uh, it requires a good start. Nebraska needs to be five and one or four and two at the absolute worst when it plays Michigan on October 9th, and that doesn't happen without a win against Illinois uh, next Saturday. So I agree. It's the most intriguing Week Zero game that I've seen in covering Nebraska, you know, going back to the the early and mid-1990s. I mean, from my time, um, my first days in Lincoln as a student on that campus, there's not been a, a um, an opener like this um i mean of course there have been opener every opener when you're trying to go undefeated is huge but the way that this one um sets things up the way that it uh it 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 will it will take nebraska into september either feeling good or just terrible if it loses that game um it's it's a it's like a 180 degree flip and you don't generally see that in an opening game so um, I'm intrigued by the Illinois side of it too. Um, you know, what Bielema is going to do, how quickly he's going to be able to get things rolling. You would think with all of that experience and those old players on the team that it's not going to be as rough as you might have for uh, many first-year coaches who, who are, are taking over a dire situation in the Big Ten. Um, they've got an experienced quarterback. Um, they, uh, you know, they're physical and big and strong at the line of scrimmage on both sides. Uh, so that's a, that's a pretty good formula in the Big Ten West, and you know we'll see. I don't expect Illinois to be in a bowl game this year, but same thing for the Illini. If they find a way to come out and win this thing, and remember, this is an Illinois team that beat Nebraska by three scores in Lincoln a year ago as that program was, in, was somewhat in disarray under Lovey Smith. Um, if they find a way to, do, to, to, to repeat that success, to win again, to get some things going against Nebraska, um, it's, it, it's, it remains to be seen very much. It's very much in doubt how Nebraska would, would respond, if it could respond well to a bad start to that game. 
then you know maybe Illinois gets something going. Maybe Illinois is a surprise team here in the West this year. I, it's not without. It's not outside the realm of possibility. So you know, of course, the majority of my attention in leading up to this game is on Nebraska, and you know what a win or a loss could do for the Huskers over the three months that follow. And it's just such a wide range. Um, this is a team with the talent to go out and win eight games, but it's also the team with the mindset to have things completely collapse and end up as a three or four win team. So um, th- their talent is better than that. Their talent is is, is on par with uh, to be able to play and be competitive with 10 teams out of 12 on this schedule. They're not on Oklahoma's level. They're not on Ohio State's level. Every other game out there on the schedule is winnable for Nebraska. And so much of this team's opportunity, so much about this team's chance to be able to be in those games and and to play close with all those teams and to and to 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 be in a position to win those games if they're close, it it it, it all starts right there next Saturday. It's a huge game, huge game for Scott Frost, huge game for Nebraska, huge game for for uh, you know this fan base to uh, uh, be able to feel good about itself when when they when they walk back into Memorial Stadium for the first time in almost two years on on September fourth. Right, and I think going in at least from kind of an outsider point of view that. I mean, I think both teams are, are kind of on equal footing. I, I look at the West as so intriguing year in and year out because it's a developmental division, basically. Whoever develops their players is going to be at or near the top of the, the division. And whoever establishes the line of scrimmage is going to be in every game. So I think that's kind of uh, you know what certainly Wisconsin, Iowa, Northwestern's hallmark has been, Minnesota – is moved in that direction. And now I think Nebraska, Illinois, and Purdue are kind of in those three that need to kind of elevate in that regard. I, I look at Nebraska and, you know, yeah, 3-0. and And then after that, there's a four-game stretch where all those games are winnable before a bye. You know, I mean, at Michigan State, uh, Northwestern at home, Michigan at home, at Minnesota, those are all winnable. And then a bye and then Purdue, that's a winnable game. So they, they've got – they should be in those games. That's not to say they're going to win them all or lose them all, but just saying that, you know, then the final three will be challenging, um, obviously. But it could, you never know. So, I mean, other than Oklahoma and Ohio State, as you said, I think they're they're in that ballpark. And then with Illinois, conversely, uh, you know, they could have a very strong start too. They've got, um, you know, their first, what, six games are against opponents that, they can compete with and possibly win. And that's, you know, they've got a UTSA after playing uh, Nebraska. They go to Virginia. They've got Maryland. They go to Purdue and they got Charlotte. So they could have a really right. nice run too. This could propel either team. I guess I look at the West division. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but I, I look at Iowa, Wisconsin, um, in whatever realm you pick in, um, that they're the favorites. And I'm not saying they're going to win it, but I think that I feel safe in saying that barring some major scourge of injuries, they're probably in the top three uh, at the end of the year. You know, whether they, one of them wins it or, you know, whatever, or one of them loses and gets, you know, third place. I feel good about them being two of the top three teams at the end of the year. I think there's a lot of other teams, Nebraska being among them, that 
could put it all together and have a great year, and all of a sudden, wow, they're in first place or they're in second. Minnesota is that way. Northwestern mm-hmm. certainly always is that way. Um, Purdue and Illinois, I don't know that they're quite in that category, but I think they can put themselves in position to be very competitive with a good year. So that's what has always intrigued me about this division um, because if you play the right style and you compete up front and you have enough veteran players, and Nebraska certainly does on the defensive side of the ball, then I think you put yourself in a position where you can compete. And if you can do that, you get a run, you beat Illinois on the road, you feel good about it. Uh, maybe you play hard at, at Oklahoma and you don't get blown out. Uh, then you come go to East Lansing and win, then I think you've got a chance to go on a little bit of a run and have a just kind of feel good about yourselves. And that's something that you know certainly Nebraska hasn't done for quite a while. Yeah, I'm with you on the on the makeup of the West, and you know, I, I and that's a huge part of the reason why I'm looking forward to watching this season unfold uh, for Nebraska and these teams in this division is because you just don't really know. I mean, I, yeah, Iowa and Wisconsin, or Wisconsin and Iowa, are on um, a level where where I think you feel more comfortable in knowing that they're going to be at or, or near the top, and everybody else it could go so many different ways. Um, I like Wisconsin this year. You know, I think it's going to be a bounce back year. But then I, I also sometimes find myself just not remembering how close Iowa was a year ago to really having a special season. And we've talked about that, Scott, about, um, you know, just it was, you know, in, in much the same way that I think Nebraska people feel sometimes like, oh, it's just that one bounce or that one play. And all of this could have been so much different. And those, those things haven't gone Nebraska's way for the better part of, of a decade. Um, Iowa got a taste of some of that last year in, in just – um, you know, how, how uh, you know, unfortunate a certain moment was here or there. And that could have been, you know, close to, a, 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 you know, an undefeated kind of season um, for the Hawkeyes. And, and, and I, I think you have to remember that when you, um, you know, you put together a look at how this, this 21 season is going to go, because there's a lot back from, from that group. Um, I found myself for just a couple of minutes at Big Ten Media Days, falling under the spell of PJ Fleck when when he talked about how much he loved his team and how old they are um, and, and and how much experience they have back. And then I remembered how bad that defense was a year ago. So um, I think Minnesota is going to be a lot better. I do. Um, you know, COVID hit that team so hard. The COVID year. It's a smaller roster. They had so many players who who are out, and it and, and it really decimated them. Um, you know, that had a great inspirational showing in Lincoln against the Nebraska team that was reeling at that time. But aside from that game, it was it was not a memorable year. I do think Minnesota bounces back. I think Tanner Morgan's, a, you know, is a is a, a winner um, in this in this league. So um, we'll see um, that it, they could go either way. But if you're talking about teams and the way that their skill level stacks up, um, you know, on the on the heels of Wisconsin and Iowa, um, you know, I could definitely make a case that Nebraska belongs next in that, in, on that list. And I think the Nebraska offense is going to surprise people this year. I know, um, what the, the sentiment is. I know, um, what the, uh, you know, the conversation is around Adrian Martinez, who has seemingly regressed through his, he has regressed statistically through his career, you know, as a, as a, 
a high-level guy in 2018 in his freshman year with a ton of potential to you know, some head-scratching in 2019 as he dealt with some injuries to last year, um, despite a, a completion percentage north of 70%, he threw four touchdowns and, and they had no, you know, no deep threat in the passing game. Um, he was tentative at times. He was turnover prone. It was a difficult year for, for Adrian. I do think that that offense at Nebraska, and it hasn't necessarily been through development. It's been through the transfer portal. Um, on the offensive line, it's been development. Um, but at the, at the receiver and the running back spots, um, it's been a little different formula for Nebraska in building this thing um, than, than what you see around the Big Ten. Um, and I think there's a chance for it to be successful. I think there's a chance for Nebraska's wide receivers and running backs to really surprise some people this year. And, you know, maybe I'm, I'm out to lunch. Maybe I'm, I'm, uh, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, having been around this program all, all offseason and, and seen them and listened to them, I understand that that's a possibility. Uh, but I do think that there's a lot more talent there than what um, people outside of, uh, outside of the state are giving Nebraska credit for. And I'm excited to see these guys um, and what they can do at the receiver and running back spots. Because if they provide um, what they think they can around Martinez, then I think he's a different player this year and can, can take Nebraska um, – to uh, you know, some some decent places on offense and on defense, they're they're uh, they they did do it developmentally. They're uh, they're old and they're they're um, you know they're big and they're strong and and pretty talented uh, on the defensive side. So um, we'll we'll see we'll see if Scott Frost allows this to be a team that the defense um, can lead, that the defense can 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 um, you know can win games for. Um, that's a huge, a huge question because that's never uh, how he's coached. He's always been an offense first kind of guy. And um, this team, I think at the beginning is going to need to lean on its defense. It's going to need to lean on its defense to win that game at yeah, Illinois. I agree. It's, it's an interesting look at the league you just provided. And, and yes, I could say that the combination of the receivers potential in, in uh, Nebraska, along with Marquis step, I think if he's healthy, He's, he's a quality running back, and I've seen Oliver Martin for quite a few years now. Um, he's, he's a quality receiver. Uh, Omar Manning, uh, the transfer from Montana. I think they've got they've got some potential there. And and uh, uh, what Betts, uh, you know Xavier Betts. I think he's you know a home Xavier run Betts. hitter, and uh, you know can Adrian Martinez get the ball down the field to get it, get them involved? That's going to be my big question. But you know he's he's pretty accurate. It's going to be an interesting situation whether they can allow him to do the things he does well while mitigating some of the issues that he's not real strong at and if that can happen then yeah they can sustain drives and then you have a defense i mean i think jojo doman is is one of the better defensive players in the league uh if not in the country frankly i think he's a tremendous player and you know looking at minnesota they have as good or better completely certainly a deep offensive line as anybody, um, they have, you know, what seven players with nine starts or more, one with forty-five. I mean, it's incredible. Mo Ibrahim is as good of a running back in the league as there is. Um, you know, with Wisconsin, what's fascinating to me is I don't think people, I think people picking them are, are just kind of reverting to what happens in our industry all the time, where it kind of goes back to the mean of, uh, you know, whether it's Michigan, you know, Michigan's the pick number five right now, I mean, as the fifth best odds in the Big Ten. 
it was garbage last year and it wasn't even they were non-competitive in most of their games late in the mm-hmm. year. Wisconsin, I saw Iowa beat them by three touchdowns last year and pretty much dominate them. The only time they scored was off a muffed punt. So uh, Penn State, Iowa beat them by 20 points. And, you know, so there's kind of this, always this natural reversion. We see it with the polls. Okay, Texas is in the poll. Michigan's getting votes. It's like, we didn't watch this these teams last year. But then they always <laughs> supply themselves with, with four-star talent, so you figure that that talent's going to carry them. Uh, but I do think with Wisconsin, they did have such issues with COVID. Graham Mertz was fantastic early, and he was uh, rough late. You know, Kind of the opposite of Spencer Petras at Iowa, who had this almost the exact same type of game for final three quarters against Illinois that uh, – that Graham Mertz had in the opener, but of course it went under the radar. Uh, but I think Jalen Berger, can he be, he's not going to be Jonathan Taylor. Can he be close? That's a big question. Their injury or their COVID issues at wide receiver were huge last year. Can Danny Davis and, uh, you know, Kendrick Pryor, can they come back and be good? I, I think that's a big question for them. I think they're capable of it. Uh, you know, Northwestern, Every year for eternity, people have written them off. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to write them off now, but I'm going to say that they lost a heck of a lot of good players. The Gallagher and Fisher had been around since before Nebraska joined the league, and now they're finally gone. It only took them 10 or 12 years to leave. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way, Mitch. But, uh, <laughs> you know, then, but they do have maybe the best left tackle in the league and Peter Skronsky. They have a great safety and Brandon Joseph, but it's going to be about what Ryan Helensky does because as much as a lot of Northwestern fans say, hey, look at us last year. We won two out of the last three division titles. Two years ago, they also went three and nine, which I think was an aberration, but still the potential yeah. is there. Uh, Purdue, skill position-wise, they have the best player in the division and David Bell. He's fantastic. And George Karloftis can really come off the edge. But what else? Um, they're kryptonite for Iowa. <laughs> they always are, just because their style of play continuously attacks you, and Iowa plays a different style that just allows that to kind of get to them. Um, but they haven't beaten Wisconsin, God, in 15, 16 years, something like that. So, you know, it, that's why it's so fascinating, because we can make a case for every one of these teams that this could be maybe not even their year, but they could challenge but then you could always make an opposite case that, you know, for Iowa, yeah, sure, they could be 10-2 and two or 11-1, and one, but they also could lose all these close games that they traditionally – like last year they did. They, they were, went 1-2 and two in games decided by um, a touchdown or less. You know, maybe this year they lose two or th- – they lose Iowa State. Maybe they lose to Nebraska in a close game. Maybe they lose again to Wisconsin, and then all of a sudden – People are over here, are up in arms and ready to fire Ferentz. Um, so anything's possible, I think. I'll I'll, uh, I'll end the discussion on Nebraska with just a couple of names. You know, you were going through um, some of the uh, some of the scheme for the Huskers, and and you know, I think people need to know the name Cam Taylor Britt when when you look at the Huskers in their defense. Um, you know, maybe the most important guy out there, which is a little bit different to say for a, for a corner, but. Um, you know, you can scheme some pass rush and you can do some different things. You can't scheme a lockdown corner. Um, and, you know, he's he's uh, as good as Nebraska's had in quite some time at that position. Just a dynamic guy in the in the secondary who, uh, you know, I think is going to up his his uh, 
ball hawking ability this year and, and uh, you know, challenged to be um, a, an all-conference uh, caliber player for, for the Huskers on the defensive side. And offensively, uh, you mentioned Manning, the transfer from uh, junior college, started his career at TCU. Omar Manning, the big 6'4", 225-pound receiver who just couldn't get on the field last year because of, uh, you know, um, different things that were related to the pandemic and his transition to back back to uh, the Power Five. Um, he's a different guy this year, at least in in the offseason in, in, in terms of his readiness. Um, the Montana transfer's name is Samari Toure. Um, and I think Big Ten fans are going to get to know that name, um, you know, maybe right away in, uh, in in week zero. They'll be on on a big stage uh, next Saturday at noon, and you're going to hear his name. I think he's going to lead Nebraska in receptions. Um, he had 1,500 yards in, in in receptions at Montana as an FCS All-American in, in 2019, and didn't play football last year. Uh, he is uh, he has been uh, um, such an important figure for Nebraska in this offseason, both in helping guys like Manning uh, and, and some of the young receivers, and, and then in being that uh, that versatile receiver that Adrian Martinez just did not have last year. He's going to p- play the slot, but he's also going to go line up outside, and he can go over the middle. Um, he can he can go deep. Um, it, it's uh, he, one of the more impactful uh, newcomers in the in the Big Ten West. I, I would say he's going to be this year. And, and finally, uh, you mentioned Marquis Step at running back. Um, a, a guy to watch is Gabe Irvin, true freshman from uh, from Georgia, from a big big program, Buford High School. Um, in, in Atlanta that, that uh, made him probably physically ready for what he's going to see in the Big Ten. I, I think he might just might go into week zero as Nebraska's top most complete running back, even ahead of Marquis Stepp, the USC transfer. We'll see. We'll see how those carries um, are, are, are divided. But Irvin, the true freshman, is definitely going to be in the mix to get the ball a lot in uh, you know right away from from week zero on uh, pretty complete back and and looks physically ready to be able to do it in the Big Ten I don't know if he can go uh, 12 games and take a pounding but fortunately Nebraska have has a couple other guys um, in in step and in, in Savion Morrison the redshirt freshman from from Tulsa to uh, to to uh, share the load so um, again uh, much improved it would appear on paper uh, here in the offseason still at those skill spots but uh, we will uh, we will definitely find out a lot more over the weeks to come. Yeah, most definitely, and we'll see how uh, how they handle Jake Hansen, who's has uh, probably I don't I think he's probably close to having the most turnovers in Big Ten history, and entering year six, he's it's probably you know the the linebacker for Illinois. He's he's probably going to be game mm-hmm. to have a few more here. So we'll kind of wrap up here by uh, today. We released kind of our uh, our best bets and and insiders picks. Uh, for the division winners, conferences, over-unders, that sort of thing. And uh, the odds to win the Big Ten championship game, of course, is by MGM. Uh, Ohio State is clearly the favorite, which is, should come as zero surprise. I mean, they won the last four, uh, you know, and uh, are the best team. I think we can – they're the flagship program of the Big Ten. So there's really no discussion there. Yeah. No debate there. Um, you know – I would say it's kind of gets interesting after that. Wisconsin and Penn State are two and three. Um, you know, again, I think people expect to bounce back after both. Uh, Penn State started zero and five for the first time in school history last year. Won its last four. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I could see a, a bounce back for the the Nittany Lions. I think they are capable of that, and just like with Wisconsin, that went four and three. Uh, but you know, that's. Uh, 
you know, I don't know. That's projecting a lot. You know, I saw Wisconsin was ranked 12th, and I, I was a little surprised by that. I just thought, here we go. This is typically what happens in college football. That uh, Let's forget about last year and just focus on the present and the future, right? But uh, what else maybe caught your mind there on some of the odds? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll circle back to the Penn State thing. And, uh, you know, we, we talk, you talked earlier about Michigan and how bad Michigan was at times last year. That was Penn State in the first half of the year. And to their credit, they were able to right the ship somewhat at the end. And I think that was, that, that was so important for Penn State as it went into the offseason that, that followed. Uh, because it's it's a different situation than Michigan. Because Michigan just it it just it fizzled out, and they didn't, yeah, they didn't play it. Obviously, didn't play at the end. They were they they weren't able to get on the field. Um, if Penn State had had an experience like that, which was what you would expect, I would say, after an zero and five start at that school, it's a school that expects to uh, at minimum be playing on New Year's Day every year. Uh, a program under James Franklin that has shown the ability to do that with consistency. So the, that they were able to come back and finish strong, to me, is an indicator about, of, of what kind of metal and, and fortitude those guys have who are left in that program. And I, I do like Penn State to be one of the bounce-back teams in, in the entire country this year. So um, I'm, I'm intrigued by that, by that, that, that uh, those odds for Penn State, because if Penn State's going to win the Big Ten, it's got to get past Ohio State, which to me would 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 maybe make you put a West team right there, uh, you know, a, as the number two number two pick, which I believe they did. Right, Wisconsin was the 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 second most most likely. I, I I I can appreciate that, but I think if you're if you're looking at these teams as far as you know who, who's who's the next best after. Ohio State, I, I I might be very much inclined to go with Penn State because I I really do believe in their ability to bounce back this year. Yeah, it's fascinating. They're eight to one. Iowa's nine to one. They do come to Iowa City. Um, it's it should be another you know very intriguing game. This is the final year of that six game series that everybody gets, and uh, Penn State and Iowa and all but two last year's game and the first one of this of the sequence. Uh, we're, we've been very, very competitive down to the end of the game, so I, I'd expect something like that again. Uh, Michigan at twenty to one, along with Indiana. Uh, again, I, that's that's fool's gold. Um, I, Michigan always has talent. Hmm. Michigan, if Michigan plays similarly to the way it played in the middle part of last year before it gave up, there should be a coaching change at midseason. It's just. That game against Wisconsin was zero resistance. You get more resistance out of a seven-man sled than what Michigan provided Wisconsin in that game. If they would have played Ohio State and Iowa back-to-back, they would have lost by a combined 100 points. It would have been bad, bad, bad all the way around. They just had nothing in the tank, and they didn't look like they wanted to be there. So now can Jim Harbaugh bring them back and and make them – not only good, but just at least respectable and play like the Wolverines of the past, you know, the Bo Schembechler, Lloyd Carr, and and even Brady Hoke, for crying out loud, then, uh, then yeah, I think they could be in the discussion to have an eight and four year. But, you know, to have, if I'm Indiana, I'm pissed off. <laughs> I mean, you know, Indiana mm-hmm. had a, a very good year. Uh, 
and has a very good team. Has the best quarterback, in my opinion, in the in the uh, in the Big Ten at least coming into this season. And Michael Penix. So and and a very good defense, and that's been the differentiator because under those years with like Kevin Wilson, they had a great offense but no defense. Now they have a good defense under Tom Allen, and they really have bought in. So uh, that that's fascinating that those two would have the same odds to me. Yeah, that's the thing with Indiana that I think people people overlook a little bit because there's some firepower on that offense with Penix and Ty Freifogel, the um, the the uh, um, all conference receiver. Um, but Tom Allen's a defensive guy, and his programs are going to be built um, around solid defensive play. So, you know, not surprising. I, I think that people maybe don't have the right impression of Indiana, even within the league. But I think this is a program that, you know, while, while there were some fortunate moments last year, that opener against Penn State that got Indiana off on a right start, that thing ended with the with, with a fortunate bounce and a fortunate call for the Hoosiers. But Credit to them for taking advantage of that and, and, and running with it and having a great year. Um, I, you know, I, I really strongly felt last year that there were going to be teams when we got to the end of November or just into December as the way the schedule played out, that there were going to be teams that you looked at and you just said, wow, how did they do that? How did they um, marginalize? How did they, how did they um, capitalize or, or, or take advantage of the situation that was given to them with this pandemic? and turn it into this this really surprising run. And then there were going to be teams that were the opposite, that you looked at and you said, man, everything just completely fell apart on them in a way that just would not happen in a normal year. And that's Michigan and Indiana to me. Indiana probably doesn't have that kind of year in 2020 if it wasn't for all of the, the um, strangeness that was thrown at them through the, through the calendar. Um, and now they can build on it. Michigan doesn't have that kind of a year last season if it wasn't for the same circumstances and they went the opposite way for the Wolverines. And now they've got to find a way to bounce back from it. And I don't know if they can. I love your fire on uh, that you have on, on Michigan and, and how bad um, they were last year. And I, and I agree. Watching them was, 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 uh, it was disgusting to see Michigan at times last year, especially in that Wisconsin game. So, um, Let's see. Let's see what happens. I think those are two programs going in opposite directions, and uh, I agree. For for them to have the same odds is uh, is is uh, a little bit head scratching. Yeah. Minnesota's at twenty five to one, um, and then at forty to one are both Northwestern and Nebraska, and I could see the <laughs> the wheels turning for a lot of Northwestern fans going. You don't get any respect. No, you don't. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And but you do lose so many players that I think that's what but sends you down the, the list. I mean, again, Gallagher and, and Fisher were just outstanding. And, and Greg Newsom was, uh, you know, a first-round draft pick. Uh, you know, Peyton Ramsey really stabilized the offense. There were quite a few important transfers, too. They've got a higher level of talent than normal, but can it all gel? Can they win those games? Uh, that That's a question. I think Nebraska, It this, this is probably the first time you've would hear me say this since they joined the Big Ten. I think Nebraska is the one to buy at 40 to 1 because I think if they don't go anywhere, well, it wasn't really expected, but I think they've got a, they are to me the underrated, the team that's got the potential to go from 40 to 1 to, wow, Indianapolis or something like that. Um, I don't see anybody below them, you know, Maryland or Purdue or Michigan State or Illinois, you know, that has that kind of potential. But I think I could, you could buy low on Nebraska and 
take a flyer. That that might be a team, you know, if everything comes together in the right way. Um, you know, maybe they go <laughs> 10 and 2. I mean, you get to the end and it's like, hey, you got a week off before you play Wisconsin and Iowa. And if you win close games there, Northwestern has done that, then it's possible. So that would be the team that I would take the flyer on, uh, you know, low on the lower end. It's the it's kind of the definition of maybe what a good bet, a good long shot bet is. I mean, in no way do I see Nebraska winning the Big Ten, but at forty to one, hey, why not? So you know, go 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 make it happen. Uh, they they uh, they they have they're a better team than what those odds would indicate, but all of the obstacles stacked in front of them to actually get to that point um, are. Are, are I would say too great to uh, too great to to yeah. to clear. Well, you know, to win the, the league, almost everybody picked Ohio State, which is again h- hardly surprising. A seventeen out of twenty, uh, only two picked Penn State and one picked Wisconsin. Uh, so we don't even really need to talk about that as much as at the East. Uh, you know, it, it kind of goes as expected. The odds are a little bit in better favor. Indiana's ten to one. Michigan's fourteen to one. Uh, Penn State six to one, and of course Ohio State's minus four fifty. So the thing with Ohio State is that every year it's we've gotten to the point with the Buckeyes that you almost expect them to bring in a new quarterback, and they're going to be just awesome. Uh, you know, just Justin Fields was that way before him. Dwayne Haskins and yeah, you know J T. Barrett and Cardale Jones. I mean, it just list goes on and on and on. Joe Burrow would have been pretty good too if he would have stuck around. Yeah, he was all right. He turned out to be okay for LSU, but uh, I or he would have been great at Nebraska too. But you know, anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll do a different yeah, podcast. A whole on other that. podcast. So now, uh, at some point though, that they're, they're going to trip up, and it might be this year. It might be on the road. It might be against a, a pretty good team. Now they don't play, and uh, I'll be, you know, they don't play Ohio State or Iowa. So that's. Uh, you know, kind of to their luck, if you want to say that. Oregon, but that's at home. You know, and a a few years ago, I might have said, man, that first game at Minnesota might be kind of tricky because Minnesota's got a big offensive line. They got a great running back. They can control the line of scrimmage on on offense. But defensively, they were so horrendous last year that I just can't see them forcing turnovers, getting three and outs against a new quarterback. I mean, it's kind of one of those where, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe they'll score 24, but, God, they're going to give up 58. So, I don't know. Um, do you see any shot at uh, the Buckeyes? You know, even their tough game, you know, Penn State, you know, that's going to be at home. They're, they have kind of a a pretty advantage, advantageous schedule. I fell in the trap two years ago of thinking that Ohio State would be vulnerable because it had a new quarterback. And that was like my sole reasoning. It was, I know they're still recruiting all the four and five stars, but they've got a new quarterback and he's going to have a a game where he slips. And this is the time to get Ohio state right now. That was my thought going into 2019. And I could not have been more wrong because Justin Fields was ready from day one, not just to be, to take, take the torch, but to, 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 to hold it higher and, and, and be even better. So I'm not going to say that about Stroud or 
whomever it is that ends up as the quarterback for the Buckeyes. And I, th- I think it's going to be Stroud. That's that's certainly what it seems like coming out of uh, Ryan Day's comments uh, this week. But I, I, yeah, I mean, we've seen Ohio State slip up. We've seen them slip up against Iowa. We've seen them slip up against Purdue. But when you can name the losses that a team's had uh, on on one hand over a number of years, um, you're you're – um, you know, you're looking too hard for some kind of a fault. I, I, I don't think that Ohio State is going to um, slip enough this year to give another team a chance, a, a real chance in, in, in the East. Now, hey, maybe Penn State can run the table and then it come, becomes a one-game season um, in the East, but uh, so much more likely that somebody snaps, you know, gets up and, and, and bites Penn State than, than, than Ohio State. And then even if, um, you know, well, we'll see how that, how that game, game goes. To answer your question, no, I don't think this is the year that Ohio State falls down beyond the top spot. Yeah. Now, in the West, uh, the odds are kind of what we've talked about. I mean, uh, you know, Wisconsin's the clear favorite. Iowa, you know, pretty close behind it, actually, at, at plus 185. Wisconsin's minus 115. Then, uh, you know, a, kind of a tight three-team betting parlay there with uh, Minnesota, Nebraska, and Northwestern from 10 to 1 to 16 to 1, and then Purdue and, and Illinois at the bottom. Uh uh, how we picked 15 out of the 20 picked Wisconsin four picked Iowa and one picked with uh, Minnesota. Um, I guess, I, I guess here's what I, I think about the Buckeyes that I think they're well positioned to run the table. I mean, even, even, you know, if they were at Penn state, maybe I, at that point I would say, well, maybe they got a shot to get upset there, but I don't see that really based on, you know, they're not, they're not going to lose to Michigan state this year and probably not lose to at Nebraska or anything like that. But I think the winner of the West in Indianapolis has a shot because, you know, part of it is if, if it's Wisconsin or Iowa, both those teams have great offensive lines. They'll have at least a two year starter at quarterback, probably great running backs and tremendous defenses. So that's to me where the, the West has a shot. I am not suggesting that the talent is the same. It's not. It's not even close. But I do think that you get into those games and it's a grind and it's a physical grind. Then I think that's when the West Division teams can be very competitive. And and against you know if C.J. Stroud is let's just say he's just a guy, maybe he's just good. And that's it. Then. You know that's when it can be close because Northwestern gave Ohio State all it wanted, all it could handle last year. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make. Um, is is look at what happened last year in that one game situation and the talent again? It was a huge disparity, and Northwestern found a way to keep that game close for a while until um, Ohio State ran away with it at at the end. I mean, the the running game took over for the Buckeyes late in that. It wasn't even necessarily Fields. Um, um, so yeah, I, 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 you know, in looking at the West and handicapping the West, I am a little partial to Wisconsin. I was one of the 15 who picked, who picked, uh, the Badgers, you know, maybe I'm falling in that trap that you're talking about or just looking at college football historically and saying, well, you know, it's the West I'm, I'm going with Wisconsin until proven otherwise. Maybe I should have been proven otherwise last year, but, um, it was, it was last year was weird. So I think I, Paul Christ has has one thing that he's done 
that I, I think is really important for this program is they've upgraded their recruiting. And not, not to say that that necessarily is going to impact Wisconsin and, and, and its, its chances to win the West here in 2021, but there, there's going to be somebody from that freshman class who finds a way on the field and helps Wisconsin this year and moving forward down the road. I mean, um, Mertz is an example of what Wisconsin has done to upgrade its recruiting. I think Berger, maybe not so much because he's just another one of those running backs who's like, you know, part of the the machine that Wisconsin runs through there. But I, I do think that that they their talent is getting better and they've always been better than the sum of their parts. So I I I like Wisconsin's chances this year. And if you put them in a one game situation against Ohio State. Okay, yeah, it could happen. I like Wisconsin. I agree with you in that I like Wisconsin's chances to be able to win a Big Ten championship game more than I do another team being able in the East to knock off uh, Ohio State from that perch and and and, uh, and and get them knock them out of of Indy altogether. All right. Well, I'll wrap this up with one final question, and that is: Will Nebraska get to a bowl game? Yeah, I think they do. Um, but if you ask me again in two weeks and they're coming off of a loss against Illinois, then I'll probably change my, I would change my answer. And I've told people that all summer, um, spring and summer, Hey, how are the Huskers going to be? You know, it's like, it's the question that, that you hear every day. And I, I, at one point just started saying, ask me again after week zero, because that's, you know, that's maybe the theme of what we've talked about here today with Nebraska is, is how important that game is. Nebraska wins that game. Um, not to say that it's smooth sailing to six, seven, eight wins, but it's so much easier. And if they lose, the road is really hard to get back to a bowl um, for just the the the, uh, the first time since uh, since 2016. So um, I, I, I I'm going to say yes that Nebraska wins the opener and that it will get to a bowl game. But um, man, if uh, if it goes the wrong way next Saturday, then then it's going to be a long. Uh, it could be a long year. I think they got a really good chance, and I, I agree. I do think they get there. You know, they might be six and six doing it, um, but I do think that they they get there. Now, it's going to require, you know, uh, probably a win against Illinois. I think you're right, and I think they're going to have to beat maybe somebody they shouldn't, somebody that they're an underdog. And you don't really want to get in a situation where you're four and five or five even five and four going into the final three. Not to say you couldn't knock off Iowa in the finale. They've been close the last few years, but that puts a lot of pressure on you. And uh, But I, I do think they get to six wins. I think this is – and that if that's the case, it's something to build on. It's something to show that things are going in the right direction. And uh, you get those extra practices. You get a bowl experience. And, uh, you know, hopefully you get a pinstripe bowl experience where it's – you know, just as warm as it was when I went out there a few years ago. And uh, you'll enjoy Yankee Stadium and, and the 20-degree day in, in late December. Hey, New York is uh, better than being in uh, – if, if, you're, if you're a team that, that hasn't been to a bowl game in a number of years, you'll take, you'll take any destination you can get. Well, I, I don't know which is better, though, Yankee Stadium or the Field of Dreams. So, uh, <laughs> you know, both, both have pretty good – You've uh, had both. Atmospheres. You've experienced yes. both. I had both. I'd, I'd like to experience Yankee Stadium for a baseball game against the Red Sox at some point. But I do think that uh, Field of Dreams went off well. And, and would there be a place that uh, there should be like a, a Field of Dreams football game? You know, can you Ooh. think of anything like, at like least the, uh, at least the corn would be the right height? I, uh, 
you know, I made the mistake of suggesting that they play there in the spring. Like, you know, I was yeah. try, trying to incorporate Big Ten baseball into that conversation, and, and somebody put me in my place by reminding me that the corn wouldn't look right. I'm like, it's you know, just make fake corn, whatever. whatever. That corn, that corn out there beyond the outfield, is it, it wasn't real. It wasn't entirely real anyway. I mean, I know it was real. I know they grew it out of the ground. But hey, man, there was like some paint and some shine and all kinds of. Uh, they, they, it's called water. <laughs> they did some serious work to that corn. It looked good, man. Not not like the stuff that uh, you know I see driving yeah. driving uh, across I eighty on my trip to Iowa City. So, um, but yeah, it was awesome. And uh, whatever they could do, if you can make a Field of Dreams football stadium, absolutely, I'll, I'd uh, I'd go cover that game or I'd go watch that game. Yeah, I think we see those a lot in high school ball around right, here, right. Um, and probably in Nebraska. And no, they they had some great irrigation for that corn, uh, unlike uh, pretty much everywhere else where we're in a drought. But <laughs> you know, the, the that's why the one thing I threw out there was I would love to see like a fall ball harvest classic yeah, there, yeah. where you know if it was in the spring and it was a regular game, then it. The importance is there, but yeah, as you as you said, I mean, you're going to have uh, corn that's uh, barely up to your ankles, and uh, and we all know what spring in the Midwest and certainly Northeast Iowa would be. Uh, you know, you, you you might get lucky and get a 50 degree sunny day. It's probably going to be windy, and chances are you might get a rainy cold day, and that would really suck. That would make it feel of nightmares, not feel of dreams. But I think if you do it in the fall, like let's say the first weekend in October. And you invited, you know, you, I mean, if you're going to have corn, you got to have the corn huskers. And if it's going to be in Iowa, you got to have Iowa and Minnesota's nearby. And maybe throw Illinois or Nebraska or Northwestern and some of those other teams in there. And everybody play a game or two and, and you get to hit the ball in the corn and it's golden because of the harvest. I, I think that would be. And, and then it's about the experience as much as playing. And, and I, I would really. I think that would be great. Now, of course, they'd have to convince MLB that's coming back there next year with the Reds and Cubs that, sure, you should go and play. Hey, more college baseball in the fall. I like that idea. Usually it's yeah. just, they're just scrimmaging, but um, absolutely. Go out, and play, go out and play a real game. Even if, even if it's just an exhibition and it means absolutely nothing for your, your spring season, it would be fun and people would want to go watch. That's something on a Sunday if you're BTN. And you're, you know, now there's there's field hockey and other sports, but that, if you're BTN on a Sunday and you say, you know what, we could we could televise two or even three games from Field of Dreams, and if you're a baseball player at, at Iowa, Nebraska, wherever, how cool would that be to say, you know what, we played at Field of Dreams and we got to, I had the a home run in the in the corn, and you know, you can have the players walk in out of the corn or whatever and do all the same things. I think that would be memorable. I think people would watch. And uh, yes, it wouldn't count per se, but but it matter, you know. And sometimes mattering is worth more than the win loss record. After that whole everything that happened in in that game with Fox and the the, the magic that they put together, I would think BTN would jump at that idea. I think you should get this going and get it and get it off the ground. Well, I'm going to send them this podcast immediately, and <laughs> and hopefully they listen and they put it on BTN line. No, uh, no I actually did run into the Iowa baseball coach there, and he's like, you know what? They wouldn't even let me in to, to, to take a look at the stadium before, so I don't know if they would let me in to have a game here. So, well, as always, we wanted to thank you, our legends and listeners, for spending some time with us today and adding us to your podcasting rotation and. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars like Ari Wasserman's top prospects. And if you want to throw a three-star in there for Iowa, go for it yourself. So for Mitch Sherman, this is Scott Docterman, and we will talk to you guys later. <laughs>